0: Chemical Watch Podcast. Unlock the full value of your compliance and product stewardship with world leading insight and intelligence from Chemical Watch. To find out more or request a demo, visit ChemicalWatch.com. Chemical Watch, intelligence to transform product safety. Hello and welcome to this week's news podcast hosted by members of the Chemical Watch team. I'm Kate Lowe, Global Managing Editor at Chemical Watch and for today's episode I am joined by our North America Managing Editor Terry Highland, Asia Desk Editor David McFarlane and Europe Editor Luke Buxton. The subjects we'll be discussing today uh, include European Commission plans to clarify its interpretation of whether distributors are legally obliged to notify hazardous mixtures to poison centres, a controversial subject that has thrown up issues over legal uncertainty and a lack of EU-wide harmonisation. We'll also be returning for an update to a subject we touched on last week, which is China's intention to waive its mandatory requirement for pre-market animal testing on imported general use cosmetics from the 1st of May. But first, let's start with the claim that has been made by a coalition of NGOs that the Trump administration interfered with the findings of the U.S. EPA's finalized TOSCA risk evaluation for trichloroethylene, or TCE. The coalition, which includes the NGO's Alaska Community Action on Toxics and Earth Justice, said a decision not to use fetal cardiac defects in the November 2020 final risk evaluation of TCE was the result of political interference by White House officials in their prior administration. In a letter dated 26th of February to the then acting EPA administrator Jane Nishida, the consortium said the alleged interference reversed the longstanding judgment of EPA scientists that these effects provide a sound and reliable basis for public health protection. The EPA released the final risk evaluation of TCA late last year, concluding that the halocarbon poses an unreasonable risk to human health in 52 of 54 conditions of use evaluated, with the unreasonable risk findings based on TCE's immunosuppressive properties rather than the more sensitive endpoint of fetal cardiac malformations. Two weeks after receipt of the letter, an internal EPA memo suggested it is similarly reviewing the TCE evaluation. Acting Assistant Administrator Michal Friedhoff sent an email to staff in the EPA's Chemicals Office on the 10th of March to discuss the importance of scientific integrity and citing, and I quote, examples of past political interference, including the TCE risk evaluation. So Terry, can you start by telling us what all of this could mean for the TCE risk evaluation and for potential risk management rules for uses of the substance?
1: Hi Kate, sure. So as many readers and listeners likely already know, the Biden-Harris administration in one of their first actions called for a review of basically every agency action taken during the previous administration. And that included taking a fresh look at the first 10 TOSCA risk evaluations that the agency had already completed, including the risk evaluation for TCE. So we knew the EPA was at least taking a look at these risk evaluations. Then as you had noted last month, had those seven NGOs led by the Alaska Community Action on Toxics, wrote their letter to the EPA alleging that um, the White House under President Trump had interfered with the risk evaluation process and pressured EPA staff to base their unreasonable risk determinations on TCE's immunosuppressive properties rather than using a more sensitive endpoint of the fetal cardiac defects. And using that more sensitive endpoint um that that would have meant, you know, potentially a lower threshold for finding unreasonable risk. And as you had noted, Kate, the, the agency certainly has indicated it might take a closer look at the TCE risk evaluation. Uh, and you noted that email to staff from Dr. Friedhoff, uh, in which she had talked about the importance of scientific integrity and cited that TCE risk evaluation as an example of past political interference. And it's worth noting too, that the EPA has already pulled a toxicity assessment completed for uh, perfluorobutane sulfonic acid, a type of PFOS, And when it pulled that assessment, it cited political interference by the previous administration. Now, uh, dealing with the TCE risk evaluation in practice, if the EPA does decide it, it should go back and apply this more sensitive, fetal cardiac endpoint, then it might not have a huge effect on the number of uses already found to pose an unreasonable risk. And as you had uh, noted, Kate, when EPA released the final risk evaluation for TCE in November, it said it poses an unreasonable risk to human health in 52 of the 54 conditions of use that it reviewed. And that was using that less sensitive uh, immunosuppression endpoint. But while EPA's findings of what uses pose an unreasonable risk might not change drastically, it might stay 52 or maybe 53 of the 54 endpoints, the the point or threshold of exposure at which TCE poses a risk could change. And that could potentially lead the agency to determine that greater risk management measures are needed to mitigate that risk. And of course right now the EPA is due to propose a risk management rule for TCA er, sorry for TCE by November of this year with a final rule due by November 2022 and throwing in a review of you know potentially using a more sensitive endpoint in in the evaluation than those risk management rules it it could potentially affect that timeline.
0: Okay thanks for that Terry. Uh, the main um, study underlying this fetal cardiac endpoint is under some dispute, so industry groups for example have called for an independent review of the study behind the fetal cardiac endpoint. And Can you tell us a little more about this, um, this sort of back and forth on the TCE risk evaluation and the dispute over this endpoint?
2: Yeah, so
1: the the debate over the link between TCE and cardiac defects or cardiac malformations has gone on for more than a decade. Uh and a, a big part of this actually stretches back even further. Uh it, it goes back to a 2003 study authored by Paula Johnson and and three others. And this this Johnson study was used by the EPA's Integrated Risk Information or IRIS program. Uh, sorry, risk integrated information system. Um, uh, EPA used this study when it conducted a hazard assessment of TCE back in two thousand and eleven. Now, an iris hazard assessment is just that. It determines if a substance poses a potential health hazard um, you know at, at a certain uh, exposure level, but unlike the tosca risk evaluations, these iris assessments don't look at exposure from specific uses and then make a determination on levels of risk posed by a substance. So then going back to that 2011 IRIS assessment of TCE, industry has been critical of the agency's conclusions and in particular, the use of that Johnson study. They say it shouldn't be relied on, it's not a repeatable study. Uh, and in EPA's TOSCA uh, risk evaluation of TCE, both in the draft and the final risk evaluation released last November, the, the EPA said that the studies linking TCE and immunosuppression were of higher quality than that Johnson study and the potential link between TCE exposure and fetal cardiac defects. So that was the justification for EPA to, to use the uh, less sensitive uh, endpoint in its risk evaluation. And, uh, Even the agency's Scientific Advisory Committee on Chemicals, or or SAC, which reviewed EPA's draft evaluation of TCE, they kind of had mixed reviews of the Johnson study and the uh, potential use of this fetal cardiac endpoint. It said the EPA should maybe better justify why it chose not to use that more sensitive endpoint in the risk evaluation, but it didn't go so far as to say it should definitely use it. And in fact, several of those the SAC members really didn't support using the that more sensitive endpoint or or the conclusions of the Johnson study. So, uh, with with that background, we'll fast forward to today. And after the uh, and and you noted this, Kate, after the NGOs wrote to the EPA alleging political influence, then industry groups started weighing in as well, saying, "Hey, let's let's not act too fast here." Uh, so you had the American Chemistry Council also the Halogenated Solvents Industry Association, or HSIA, they have now both written to the EPA. And they argue that the TOSCA risk evaluation uh, certainly wasn't right to really, or was was correct um, to not fully rely on this Johnson study. And then they said, if EPA does decide it needs to go back and reconsider the TCE risk evaluation, then there should be an independent panel that looks at the evidence around the link between TCE and cardiac malformations. And as I'd mentioned earlier, such a re-review of the studies around TCE could potentially add months or even years to the process to uh, reevaluate the substance and to craft a rule to manage risks posed by TCE. And no one really wants that result. The the NGOs, meanwhile, they say, well, EPA should go ahead with its risk management rule for TCE and just use the more sensitive endpoint when it considers uh, what requirements are needed to manage TCE's risks. Uh, The bottom line, really, though, either way this plays out, we're likely to have industry or NGOs or potentially both unhappy with potential litigation uh, following once EPA does ultimately issue a rule to regulate TCE's risks.
0: Okay, thanks very much for the detail on that, Terry. Um, the EPA also recently said that it plans to resume another IRIS hazard assessment for formaldehyde. Um, can you tell us a little more about this and what it might mean as the agency also conducts a TOSCA risk evaluation for the substance?
1: Yeah, so so this is another example of kind of where where IRIS can can occasionally overlap with uh, sort of actions underway under Tosca. So our editor, Kelly Franklin, saw a separate EPA memo, uh, this one from the acting head of EPA's Office of Research and Development. Um, And in that memo, uh, the acting head, uh, Jennifer Orme Zavaleta, uh, told EPA program leaders and regional administrators that EPA was unsuspending the iris assessment of formaldehyde. And that assessment uh, began back in 2010, and it was suspended in 2018 under the uh, Trump administration. Uh, Orme Zavaleta also said that the EPA would take nominations from within the agency for additional chemicals that uh, should be assessed under IRIS, kind of a sign that there could be more action under the IRIS program going forward, and uh, that program really had moved relatively slowly under the previous administration. so with this new uh, momentum behind iris that could spark sort of an old debate over the iris program itself and iris has faced criticism for taking too long to conduct its hazard assessments industry has also said uh, not only does iris take too long but it's too conservative in its assessments and if the agency relies on those assessments when it takes regulatory action that could lead to regulations that are more stringent than are needed And industry says the IRIS program for assessing many chemicals is redundant, especially when the program has faced criticism for taking too long to conduct its hazard assessments. And industry says IRIS not only takes too long, but it's too conservative in its assessments, which could potentially lead to regulations that are more stringent than needed. And industry says the IRIS program for assessing many chemicals is. of redundant especially where you have toxic risk evaluations already going on and formaldehyde is a case in point industry says epa uh, is currently in the early stages of a toxic risk evaluation of formaldehyde so industry says that restarting the iris assessment at this point would just be a waste of epa's already limited resources
0: okay thanks very much indeed terry Now, let's turn to China and the subject of animal testing. In last week's podcast, we heard how China intends to waive its mandatory requirement for pre-market animal testing on imported general use cosmetics from the 1st of May. According to the National Medical Product Administration's final regulations on the data requirements to register and file cosmetics, published earlier this month, toxicological tests can be exempted for general use cosmetics if a manufacturer has official certification of the product's manufacture using a quality management system and safety risk assessment results that can prove safety. However, experts told Chemical Watch that fulfilling the official certification requirements in the regulations could prove to be a barrier for imported cosmetics, as many countries do not issue official quality management system certificates. Now, this week, um, we have learned that uh, French cosmetic ingredient suppliers uh, look to be the only foreign entities able to meet China's 1st of, of May waiver. So, David, can you tell us more about the arrangements in France?
3: Hi, Kate. Yes, it would appear that French cosmetics ingredients suppliers could be the only foreign entities able to meet China's 1st of May waiver from the mandatory requirements to carry out pre-market animal testing on imported general use cosmetics. We have been told by a Chinese chemicals consultancy that so far only the French government has taken action to issue the official GMP compliance certificates. They said that for other countries, it is difficult for overseas manufacturers to waive the animal testing if their government cannot issue the official GMP certificate or compliance statement. Since the 12th of January, France's National Agency for Medicines and Health Product Safety, or ANSM, has provided a dedicated platform which enables cosmetics manufacturers to obtain the necessary certificates and approvals and avoid animal testing for products exported to China, according to a statement from the French Federation for Beauty Companies, or FEBIA. FEBIA, which represents more than 300 companies, welcomed welcomed the agency's action, calling it a decisive step that is in line with the sector's efforts to support China in the total abandonment of animal testing of cosmetics products, which have already been banned in France, as in the rest of the European Union since 2004.
0: Thanks, David. Another major challenge uh, facing cosmetics companies is the requirement to provide all safety-related information on every ingredient in a product's formula. Can you tell us more about that?
3: Sure, Kate. Although the NMPA has given a transition period of until the 1st of May, 2023, to submit all safety related information on every ingredient in a product's formula. This will be a huge undertaking for companies. It was very difficult under the old regulation for cosmetic applicants to gather information such as certificates of analysis or COAs for some specific ingredients from their supplier, we were told by a Chinese chemicals consultancy. Now this work is required for all ingredients and the information is not limited to COAs but for all safety-related information. COAs are granted after tests have been performed to certify batch quality against agreed specifications. Ingredients manufacturers will find it a major challenge to provide the required certificates, and this is because many of them do not have these documents available for every single ingredient of a formula. Companies will also be required to submit additional information to the yet-to-be-established NMPA platform for cosmetic ingredient safety which will include information on product production processes, quality control, international evaluations and any known limits and or restrictions. The platform will then generate a list number for each ingredient submitted and applicants can use this when registering or notifying a finished cosmetics product. product.
0: Okay, thanks very much David. So finally, let's turn to the European Commission's plans to clarify its interpretation of whether distributors are legally obliged to notify hazardous mixtures to poison centres. The Commission is reflecting on whether to make distributors' existing obligations more visible in CLP by explicitly referring to distributors directly in the legal provision on emergency health response information, Chemical Watch has learned. It hopes to settle the issue in an impact assessment roadmap, part of a broader revision of CLP, due to be published next month. So Luke, um, can you start by telling us uh, why does the Commission need to make the obligations uh, of distributors with regard to poison centre notifications more visible in CLP?
2: Hi Kate, there's been a fair bit of disagreement on this for some time with industry and some member states not seeing eye to eye with the Commission uh, concerning two articles under CLP. About two years ago, the Commission refined its position that relabelers and rebranders of chemical mixtures are classified as distributors. Now under Article 45, importers and downstream users must notify poison centers if they're planning to place uh, hazardous substances on the market, but distributors are exempt uh, from any direct legal obligation. The issue at the heart of this disagreement is that distributors need to adhere to Article 410 and therefore may end up actually needing to make the notifications. Some member states and trade bodies don't agree with the Commission's interpretation of Article 4.10, Uh, this states that companies cannot place substances and mixtures on the market unless they're compliant with the regulation and they're also questioning the the, uh, legality of it. Some industry players say the Commission's interpretation is that if these distributors have the knowledge that certain information is not included in the original notification because it's not known to the original notifier, then the distributors have the duty to ensure the information is made available to the appointed body. This can be done either by informing the upstream notifier or by making a notification themselves. So what the Commission is doing now is reaching out via the impact assessment in the hopes of reaching some kind of accord.
0: Thanks Luke. So what happens once the impact assessment has been published in April?
2: Industry will be invited to submit their views in a four week stakeholder consultation. And after that, there'll be a 12 week um, public consultation uh, taking place. The draft proposal for the CLP revision is due in September. My understanding is this will then be debated um, by the, uh, by Caracal, the competent authorities for each CLP. And commission adoption is expected by the end of the
0: year. Okay. Thanks again, Luke. So that brings us to the end of today's episode. So thank you again to Terry, David and Luke for sharing their insight into today's stories with us. And thank you to you, our audience, for listening to today's episode. If you would like to find out more about the topics from today's discussion, please head over to the Chemical Watch website at chemicalwatch.com. Until next week, goodbye. Unlock the full value of your compliance and product stewardship with world-leading insight and intelligence from Chemical Watch. To find out more or request a demo, visit chemicalwatch.com. Chemical Watch. Intelligence to transform product safety. The Chemical Watch Podcast.